I love the idea of doing this kind of work and then having access to augmented reality to tell those stories that have been deliberately debased and erased. Pulse is the performative urbanism lab for spatial, social, and scenographic experimentation. Their current research project investigates augmented reality, art, and the scenographic apparatus for creating place-based stories of the city. And to find out more, we invited Shauna Jensen, Concordia University Research Chair in Performative Urbanism, to sit down with researchers Amanda Gutierrez, Andre Mamaliga, and Alex Tigelar to investigate this relationship between augmented reality, sonography, data surveillance, and the spatial histories of urban change. And we would like to begin by acknowledging that Fourth Space and Concordia University are located on unceded Indigenous lands. The Cuyuncahaga Nation is recognized as custodians of the lands and waters on which we gather. And Chichage, Montreal, is historically known as a gathering place for many First Nations. We respect the continued connections with the past, the present, and the future in our ongoing relationships with Indigenous and other peoples within the Montreal community. So Shona Jansen here. I'm a Concordia University Research Chair in Performative Urbanism, and I direct a lab that uh, we call PULSE, the Performative Urbanism Lab for Spatial, Social, and Cinegraphic Experimentation. And we're hanging out today with a research team working specifically on um, a project, a research creation project, uh, using augmented reality. And maybe I'll just open up to let the research team and collaborators introduce themselves before we get into uh, talking about what this project is all about. Uh, hello, um, I'm Alex Tiglar. I am a PhD student in HUMA. Uh, and I am, I guess, the, the archivist or the archive researcher on this particular project. Hello, my name is Amanda Gutierrez. I'm a PhD student in humanities, and I'm the side of a theoretical and um, also practical side of the augmented reality of this project. Hi, I'm Andre. I'm currently finishing my undergraduate degree in performance creation. And this project, I'm creating an interactive archive, a digital archive of all the materials that we are collecting related to our project. Thanks, everyone. It's so great to be able to actually follow up uh, at this point in the research process on all the work we've been doing and gathering, but also um, just on the heels of also hosting Tamiko Till, who's a um, renowned media artist, making a lot of VR and AR artworks for public space. So I think it's really great to be here to uh, be able to talk about that. And so, uh, yes, three years in the making. And uh, even with the COVID-19 uh, world that we're living in, we've made some some great progress over the last couple of months in terms of um, gathering some archival information and doing a lot of reading and thinking around some theory and practices in the making of augmented reality. And I guess what's really important for me is to also you know, say something about how this is really anchored in in a, a kind of a major axis or theme is the cinegraphic. And that's also what Pulse is doing, is looking at sonography beyond theater architectures in the stage. So looking at, you know, the city as a, as a mise-en-scene of spatial stories and urban change. So one of the things that motivated me or inspired me to want to look at AR was actually to also look at it as a, a cinegraphic device or apparatus for making visible overlooked uh, spatial histories in the built environment. 
And the site we're focusing on specifically is in Montreal. It's the Quartier des Spectacles. And uh, another reason for for choosing that site is because for, you know, nearly two decades, there's been, well, there's been a lot of transformation in the city and specifically in that site. And there's milestone, um, very significant moments in time where that part of the city has changed. But more recently, in the last couple of decades, we've seen an increase, this, this kind of ubiquity of of um, media and the, and the digital arts entering that site on on a on a huge scale, you know, from projections um, around the Place des Arts um, on the sides of buildings, like really using the built environment um, to mediate a different kind of uh, experience for the public. And I was really interested in in actually working on a different scale, and so this this scale of using um, small screens, mobile devices for uh, reading and engaging in the landscape and the history of landscape and urban change in a different way. So I got inspired by augmented reality, which I have no, you know, I'm, I'm a novice in terms of learning about how it actually works technologically. But one of the things I wanted to do was just, you know, simply start off by, there was kind of three different or two different or two main, I guess, uh, beginnings of our research. And one was to engage with the history and archives of the history of that neighborhood in the city, and also to bring in and think critically um, through a lot of writing and and discourse around the making of uh, augmented reality in public space. I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Alex, maybe for you to say a little bit about what you've been working on in terms of the archival research as a one, one aspect of our method. Yeah, and I feel in some ways that this archival research provides um, this really tactile foundation to an augmented reality. Uh, and when I do this work, I think a lot about uh, Andreas Heisen in Present Past's Urban Palimpsests in the Politics of Memory, where he says that history was the mise-en-scene of modernity. And he talks about the main concern of the 19th century nation-state being to mobilize, he says, and monumentalize national and universal pasts so as to legitimize and give meaning to the present and envision the future culturally, politically, and socially. And I really love this quote because uh, what it suggests to me uh, is this, this understanding of things that were deliberately erased, right? And there was a deliberate campaign of erasure um, in this process of nation state building. Um, and, uh, and I think that's where AR comes in really handy too, right? Because we can create, we can look into these archives um, uh, of the past uh, and, and create these, um, these histories that have been deliberately uh, taken away. And that's certainly the case in the Quartier des Spectacles. And even long before the Quartier des Spectacles erased the red light district very recently, it happened also with Place des Arts, where that, um, that uh, initiative erased uh, a neighborhood that was very mixed use, um, that uh, contained um, uh, a lot of housing, low, um, low income housing, and all kinds of other um, uh, spaces that that we don't hear about now because it was erased in order to make way for this um, this art center, you know. Uh, and I think uh, one of the things that I like to say is that I have been joyed with 
uh, the archive work on this project. And I use this term joyed instead of task because it is indeed a joy to do this kind of archival research. It's like a treasure hunt going through the CCA archives, the Archives de Montréal, the ones at the Bibliothèque et Archives Nationales de Québec. And even Concordia has beautiful local holdings. And many of these holdings have actually been digitized. So I'm doing this work. Usually I would be on site uh, uh, doing this kind of work. Uh, but now I'm in contact with the people um, in these organizations doing this work digitally. And so uh, you also have newspapers.com, right? And uh, I think that all municipalities have these very strong relationships with their media in terms of building their profile. And so when we use this term, the built environment, which is, a, you know, we, we investigate the built environment in our work and look at these scenographic elements. This isn't just something that takes place in the context of construction and architecture and city planning, but rather it also takes place in the context of media. So like how media is instrumentalized to talk about the city or how it sets its own agenda in this regard. And so discourse is really important in city building. And you see that when you do this kind of archival research, right? So how the media participates uh, in the construction and sort of like, you know, how the, these sites are going to revitalize uh, areas like uh, um, the Quartier des Spectacles and so on, and how language is often also used to debase what was formerly there in order to make room for what is considered more valuable assets, right? And so again, um, I love the idea of doing this kind of work and then having access to augmented reality to tell those stories that have been deliberately debased and erased. Um, I have to say that this project uh, really allowed me to go deep into the history of how this technology has been developed. And I found not only through the talk of Tamiko, which she quote, very important steps into the history of the augmented reality development, but also through the readings that she suggested to us and also additional readings that I've been uh, looking through because um, I'm interested into augmented reality and neural history uh, as my own practice as well. One of the important points that I wanted to say is that augmented reality has been there since 1968, and it has been used for NASA and also for other military uh, purposes. So we have to keep that in mind as a critical input of how we are using this technology nowadays. However, augmented reality on some loca locative technologies um, start being uh, developed uh, without necessarily the visual, but the sonic aspect of that in 1995 with audio technologies for museums. And that's some, something that it really gives you an important intersection with oral history and geolocative technologies. And this is a case of um, also other uh, areas of, of research that imply, for example, the development of the real estate you know, um, projects in the city of Montreal. And this is a case of Stephen High uh, process, projects and storytelling, storytelling uh, projects with audio guides. And, and they have many of them in the center of oral history. But I think one thing that we are reaching into this is how we can extend this relationship with geolocative technology that can be and is part of AR within the combination of oral history and archives. 
And I think that's one of the most interesting um, relationships here because it's not only looking at the map or a virtual map without understanding the coordinates, but the coordinates between the history is the fusion also and within the fusion of space and time, which I think that's something that is part of, of this research. One of the importance in, uh, important things in this, in this research is also, well, we have aspects of uh, the, the theoretical side of this and also the critical side of this, which one of the most, um, I think for me, aspects of the of the of the project is that allow me to to see uh, other authors and especially uh, female authors uh, imagining the space as also uh, on uh, a loca- um, relationship of action in an action in this sense with um, the influence that technology can have in the public space not only as a passive and invisible medium but actually as um, intersection with with politics and intersection also with critical thinking in um, in urban technologies. And one of them is Riga Wright, that also um, she coined the idea of ART. So art that is related or is based on argumented reality. And in this point, she also mentioned um, the intersection of the politics with a manifest AR group that uh, Tamiko Thiel is one of the members, as well as Will Pippenheimer, which they have done very interesting projects in relationship of occupying the space with digital technologies and especially with AR. They have done several ones in, for example, in museums such as uh, Guggenheim. Uh, among others, and and it has been kind of like guerrilla kind of style, understanding how um, actually AR, you know, it seems invisible, but actually can take a lot of space when it's used collectively speaking. And that also comes in my own practice as developing a present uh, current project where I'm inviting feminist groups to uh, speak or talk about their own relationship with the public space and the collective walking, collective walking and collective listening, political listening um, as part of their practice. So this project has actually helped me and allow me to think in a critical way about those mediums, but also practicing, putting in practice this um, this theory. So I'm, I'm currently uh, working and locating AR um, sound in Little Italy, where the collages of um, collages, feminicides, Montreal are um, located. And I'm, embe- I'm uh, embedding the sounds of these interviews in there so people can actually relate to that, listen to those voices, and explore, in a way, other mediums and other ways of voicing those claims, uh, feminist claims against gender violence. And uh, to me, it's very important as well to understand that for this particular project, we are um, also connecting past histories with present histories, which can also not only visually or sonically speaking, but also using digital cartography as part of this reading. So as you all mentioned, this project is about really engaging with the history of the site. So as many theoretical thinkers, academics that are related to art history like tend to say that actually the 
20th century started somewhere after the first world war with emerging with avant-garde and a shift like a huge shift as in big event shift like in uh, art scenes where we can say the same about this um, century where 2021 actually is the year where the 21st century starts because of the post-COVID, because we already had to be engaged a lot of digital world, but now we are forced and this process is accelerated even more. So my role in this um, project is actually related to that when in this post-COVID times when digital world is imposing its rules even more on us, we had to think about how to show and to engage with all the work that uh, is done for this project. And because usually normally we all all the material that is covered will be presented, will be with audience or is between the researcher on the site where can people come in and engage with this element of AR. Now we had to think how to transport this and present this archive like in a digital way. So we can still can engage it before we can move and come back to the site. And if we think about AR as um, an immersive special storytelling device, would allow the audience or the user who is interacting with it to understand and perceive in a different way the site. We, I was trying to think how can I transpose uh, this interaction to a virtual space? Because in general, if we think, what does it mean to see? If it's like we see an object, then that object in a way performs for us and we create a representation of this object in our conscious and then we understand this object. The same way AR on a site perform for us and for the user, I mean, and then that performativity shifts the perception of the size in general because you are becoming aware of the social, political element that was always present on the side. It's not really possible to see on the actual physical side, yes, because we need this augmented reality to be able to see all this layering. So I was thinking how to play with this having the actual that would be a physical site and then have aerial element. In order to do this, we use the Mozilla Hubs platform where we create this, instead of having a physical one, we have as actual site the virtual reality and then exporting 3D models of different elements from Cartier de Spectacle and importing in that space that they look like more real so we still can have this difference where it's easy to understand um, which, which would be like an actual site and which would be like augmented reality element. And linking to that augmented reality elements, all the material that Alex and Amaranda, we all like having for the project and kind of simulate that augmented reality inside of a virtual reality. So the user can still interact and can still experience that perception of performativity of like special tool, as, of AR as a special tool. One of the things um, that we haven't quite spent a lot of time with yet is is the designing that you're doing in the making this virtual environment in Mozilla Hubs, which for us is becoming kind of this parallel site or, you know, headquarters for us to, you know, be able to import and integrate maps, archival works, street, Google Street Maps, all the stuff that Alex is digging up. And then also identify some key, you know, theoretical, critical frameworks that Amanda's been working with so that we kind of have this virtual environment or archive of the research process itself. That's at least the way that I'm understanding it as we as we kind of navigate, because we're not able to, as researchers, be 
in um, in the in the city the way we would like to right now. So I'm really excited about about being able to start to make decisions and and how we're going to curate that space that you're making, Andre. You know, I think the idea for that also emerged out of work we've done in the past and making these kinds of spaces that uh, Amanda and you are very familiar with. And it's also going to be interesting to see like how it works for a general public to be able to invite people into that virtual space. You know, it's not like we would invite people into a Google Drive full of, you know, maps that we've collected or a Dropbox necessarily. I mean, who's really interested in doing that? So I'm really excited that, you know, in this time where we still have to kind of wait a little bit longer um, before we can, you know, be actively engaged in bodying our sites of research that we've got this alternative thing percolating. What are some of the other questions that are popping up for you guys in terms of engaging in this research, even though it's early days? Um, Shona, I just think it's so interesting, this issue of surveillance in the Quartier des Spectacles. Prior to that, that was also a site of extreme surveillance for some populations too, right? And that's like, you know, the kind of work that we're doing um, has the potential to reveal that. Because again, yeah, a site of real surveillance for all of the populations. Uh, and in fact, there was a strategy of of like extreme surveillance in order to make that Quartier des Spectacles site. The ways in which certain populations accessing and who use that district traditionally uh, were, were um, forced out of that neighborhood in order to make this new site of extreme surveillance. Well, for yeah, I mean, for me, it's interesting even, you know, whether there's real cameras. I mean, there are real cameras. I mean, I have two examples, you know, when there was, it's usually the site in the city that hosts a lot of the, the Nuit Blanche festivities that happen every year. And then it, they kind of trickle out of that neighborhood. But I remember one year, this is probably almost 10 years ago, not being able to enter the site because I had a backpack and I would, all I wanted to do was get to the metro. But in and of itself, it was kind of fenced off. And my bag, well, I did get to go through, but they had to check my bag. You know, they were just doing random checks for anybody who wanted to have access. And I wasn't even trying to access the actual art or Nuit Blanche activities. I was I was really just trying to get to uh, the Place des Arts Metro. So, you know, it's really interesting when sites um, that are, you know, imagined or envisioned as, you know, cultural touristic destinations, which the Quartier des Spectacles is, and that's its brand. And that brand is appropriated, you know, the history of the red light and sex worker um, livelihoods in that area. It is a bit more insidious when things get so overly programmed that it doesn't allow for, you know, other ways that spaces are used um, than the, than what they were intended for, which also happens a lot in that neighborhood. So there's a, a constant um, displacement going on in that city because it's in that part of the city because it's also highly programmed with festivals, right? All summer, or it has been. I don't know what's going to happen this summer. So, you know, and there's also a, a particularity about the design, you know, when it got cleaned up, um, the widening of boulevards, it's very, um, very houseman, right? Like there's a nod to that kind of modernist planning of cleaning up the cracks and the no room for shadows, wide boulevards. Like it's a very modern urban planning tactic. So everybody can see everybody. And there's even, you know, the the street lighting fixtures um, themselves and the way that they kind of have their own feeling of like these arms that are outstretched over the sidewalks and the streets that make you feel like, you know, yeah, you're lit, 
but you're much easily readable and visible. And so that's actually one of the contradictions of this project when I say also, you know, I'm interested in the way that we can use this technology, you know, creatively and ethically to make visible overlooked histories. But there's also a politics to making things visible. This neighborhood has always been an augmented reality in a way. The red light district was always augmenting reality. That's the whole nature of that district was an augmentation uh, of reality, uh, neon signs uh, and so on. And that has an impact on the reality of that space as well, uh, on what on how people access a space or understand it. That's what I wanted to point out. Uh, we are working with AR in, as we said, a, this um, particular kind of technology works with GeoTrack technology, which means um, this is information and data that will be sent to Google because we are based on Google Maps. So there are several things that uh, it can be uh, work around. And um, this is something that also Rega Wright uh, mentioned in her article from the Bleeding Age to the Network, Argumented Reality and the Software in Assemblage, because she she is very aware that they, this exists. And this problem is also related to uh, which platforms are we using. So if you're using a platform that is accessible to um, corporations that actually they need your personal data to build on their own economies, well, you are going to extract and coming back to the concept of extractivism, the data of the, of the people who is um, basically the users of your platform. But if you, if you make your own platform, if you work in, um, in with collaboration with um, programmers that can have more um, a certain brackets on how this data is distributed, it's a different story. There can be certain kind of uh, possible, if I don't want to say filters, but not a full disclosure of the information of the user. Our understanding of this technology is transforming and changing all the time, basically. And I think this is why we also, you know, I'm always, um, I shouldn't say we, I should say I am always cautious about, you know, how we enter into wanting to engage with technology because we're curious about it and the stories that it can help us tell. Um, you know, theater is, a theater is a source of technology as a space. Uh, a theater architecture in and of itself is that. But we have nothing without the stories. We have nothing without the content. We have nothing without the ethics around that. And, you know, I'm, I would think this is why this has been such a rich experience so far, working with all of you and finding, you know, engaging in different methods and, and critical frameworks to think about this because we don't want the technology to dictate how we're going to do this, right? It has to be the other way around. We do have a sense of a form, which is this AR technology, but this is why this first year of uncovering, you know, the history of the site, its present, us being able to think and have fun with, you know, speculating on its future and how the technology helps us to do that as opposed to the other way around is a place that I like to start from in terms of orienting ourselves, that we're not at the whim of the technology. If you have an idea for a podcast, please let us know. You can contact us by email at info.for at concordia.ca or on social media at cu4thspace. We'd love to hear from you. The podcast is hosted by me, Douglas Moffat, and produced by Anna Boklovec. Editing by Chloe Lalonde and Mackay Hawkrow. 
Social media and web support by Kari Balmstad. Our theme music is courtesy of Supercontinent. Thank you for listening.